This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Remember when we recorded a whole episode, but then we didn't record it? Mm-hmm. Man, that was annoying. Okay. Hi there. Hi. Guys, maybe you don't know who this is that I'm with, but it's Jenna. Hello. <laughs> She's back. And we are here to record a true crime episode, just like classic old days. days- Do you know what... Uh, episode it is 54 I love that number really I do hmm. do you love the number one because it's your birthday no oh I like the number 26 because it's mine it was your golden birthday many many years ago <laughs> <laughs> many um I'm gonna do something I haven't done in like weeks and weeks our little intro of welcome back to death by Southwest, the podcast where each week or, you know, sometimes each month I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margo. And I'm Jenna. And today we are heading to Frederick, Colorado, a seemingly serene community that was shattered by the brutal 2011 murder of Thomas Bashline, a well-respected local with seemingly no enemies. In the aftermath of his shocking murder, investigators were stumped as to who could have committed such a disturbing crime to such a beloved community member. But as they dive deeper into Thomas's life, they discover one unexpected secret after another, leading them down a twisted road of deception, betrayal, and passion, and leaving Thomas's friends and family questioning everything they thought they knew. Whoa, we have Indiana here. <sighs> How old is Thomas? Was Thomas? 42, 43. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. 
Oh, and we have Henry click clacking slowly up to us. Henry, for anybody who didn't listen to the the little bonus episode I put out yesterday, by the time you're hearing this, um, Henry is doing pretty well. Indiana is clearly not. <laughs> she is clearly just so high strung. She's a real high strung little pup and vocal. Okay. I could close those curtains, huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know what's out there. Oh, she probably sees a dog walking by or something. It's really fun recording when we have animals like this. All right, let's get into Sense of Place for Frederick, Colorado, which is a small farming community. It was described by residents as a big basketball town. It is a, it's located in Weld County, Colorado. So it's about 30 miles north of Denver, Mm. part of the Denver metropolitan area. It's 18 miles um, to the east of Boulder. So Boulder is kind of the closest big city. I mean, Denver's a big city. Well, Denver is bigger than Boulder, but it's 30 miles from Denver. It's only 18 from Boulder. Oh, okay. So it's a little bit closer to Boulder. Okay. Boulder's like a pretty established city denver's way bigger i don't know i've never been to colorado ever nothing nowhere nothing (laughs) nothing (laughs) i haven't Mm. so denver metropolitan it's part of the denver metropolitan area um it's i almost said evolution its elevation is around five thousand feet um the population of Frederick can change, is what I found. No kidding. Everything can change. Around 14,000 um, residents of Frederick. It's, you know, climate, weather, same as most of the rest of Colorado. Cold winters, warm summers. Semi-mild, though? Semi-arid climate. Yeah, so that, to me, means it kind of mild. Like, it doesn't get, like, it could snow and all the things, but it's not... 30 below perhaps no, i don't think any of colorado's 30 yeah. below like, yeah that's that's like chicago yeah i i looked up fascinating facts about frederick and i'll be totally honest there really aren't that many i'll just say whatever um, it was established as a coal mining town in the late 19th century so it a lot of the history of the town relates to mining um they do Like most cities, I feel like I say this all the time, they have a lot of public art initiatives. And so they do art on the streets. There's a lot of uh, street art throughout the the city and they do art walks and public art, sculptures, murals scattered throughout the town. They host an annual Miner's Day celebration commemorating the mining history with a parade, live music, food. Um, In recent years, it's experienced... uh, a lot of growth uh, because it has a strategic location, you know, 30 miles from Denver. You can live there. You can work in Denver and live in this town and it's, it's more affordable than Denver. The Carbon Valley Recreation Center in Frederick is a notable facility offering various recreational opportunities, including fitness, swimming, sports, and community spaces. Hmm. It promotes a healthy lifestyle for residents. And that's a, uh, that's it. I think like, the most important thing is that it's a big basketball town that relates to our story. But like, what do you mean by that? Um, the, re- there, the, like there's intramural basketball that's yeah, big. Yeah, there's intramural or, and the high school basketball. Not, okay. Yeah. No, and maybe a lot of kids that are in high school that. Yeah, it's raining. 
play basketball, go on to play more professional or yep. 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 Okay. Yep. Um, and so that leads me into the next part of this intro, because I want to make sure before we get into the story that people understand and know who the Harlem Globetrotters are. Oh, do you, because I, I obviously have heard the Harlem Globetrotters. I think I've even seen some of the Harlem Globetrotters. But I sat here before when I was writing this and I was like, could I describe what the whole Harlem Globetrotters are just off the top of my head? Like well, they're kind of like a... I'm going to try. Yeah, and try. I know, I, I know, like yep. I know in my mind and my it. mind's eye. That's what I felt. So they're professional basketball players from different teams of the NBA. And then they... I don't know who they are. Again, this could be wrong. This is where I'm sure, coming yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, pull from whomever teams, whatever teams, and they create the Harlem Globetrotters, and they do like a, a tour? I don't know, where they do like kind of, it's basketball and tricks. Do they do in the Olympics at all? I don't know. You are... Half right. Okay. Yeah. Half well, right. I'll the, take it. The tricks and the kind of comedy tricks, crowd yeah. interactions. Where they like, psh, yep, totally. Ball. It's like performance art via yeah. basketball, but it is not players from all famous NBA teams. Oh. It is the Harlem Globetrotters are just like, that's all they do. Like the players on the Harlem Globetrotters are just Harlem they don't Globetrotters. Do, they're not any NBA. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. No. Okay. Good to know. <clears throat> so it was, um, the, they're called an exhibition basketball team and they kind of entertain in a comedic style of playing basketball. Um, it blends like theatrical elements, tricks and crowd interaction. It's, you know, been around forever. So they were founded in 1926 in Chicago by, I love this name by Abe Saperstein, a Jewish immigrant. Uh, The team did not originate in Harlem, despite the name. It was named to evoke the cultural heritage of African-Americans during a time when Harlem was a kind of like a cultural hub. And so in the 30s and 40s is when they kind of caught on because the players had great basketball skill, but they also like learned these amazing routines that were so much more than basketball. Um, They were like gymnastic basketballers. Yep. And in 1948, they became the first all black team to play in the world professional basketball tournament, um, which is not the NBA. I don't know exactly what that is actually. Um, And so when I was researching them, I was like, okay, I understand all that. And that's not so eloquently, but and I didn't know where the players came from, but I would have said the same thing. You know, they play, they play basketball, but they do it kind of tricks and stuff. But I was like, but who do they, do they play games? Like who do they play against? Are they not, they don't go to the Olympics. They do not go to the Olympics huh. and they are not part of the NBA. And so well, I yeah, I knew they weren't part of the NBA. Up. They're part of the WPB, the World Professional Basketball. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They So I looked up, like, who do they play against? Their games are primarily played against a team referred to as the Washington Generals. And the Washington Generals are a team that was literally created to play against the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, okay. Um, And so the games are scripted. The Globetrotters are showcasing their skills, tricks, and humor, while the Washington Generals are kind of playing the role of the competitive but often, like, less good team. 
Mm, so weird. it's kind of like performance art. Weird, I know, yeah. so weird, so weird. I think it's really strange. And so when I, I looked up like interesting facts about the Harlem Globetrotters, and this one makes no sense to me. They, are, they hold a legendary unbeaten streak of 8,829 consecutive victory, victories, which like, duh, because they're, it's theatrical. It's all like scripted and pre-planned. So how is that a fact, right? I don't know. Yeah, that's mm. weird. Over the years, various celebrities and public figures have been named honorary Harlem Globetrotters, including Nelson Mandela. Bob Hope, and even Pope Francis. Wow. Mm -hmm. Does that mean they came to the game and like shot a shot or, well, I guess it could mean anything. Yeah. I think it could mean any of that. Hmm. Um, They have their own set of rules in the game, confetti filled basketballs, hidden water buckets, and even playing with ladders. (laughs) They, uh, they've (laughs) made multiple appearances in Scooby-Doo animated series and films. Um. Wow, this is. I mean, I weird, knew they right? were like a little bit out of left field, mm-hmm. a little bit different, a little bit performative. I didn't realize it was this fake, though. To be honest. Wow. Yep. I didn't realize that, and I have mm-hmm. a bunch of tr- trivia questions, but like, I don't know any of these. I'm not so even gonna ask. You know, I won't. Right. I'm not even gonna ask them. Um. But wow. yeah. So I just thought it was. So there's no, besides the honoraries, mm-hmm. there's no real notable. Mm-mm. Oh, interesting. No. Mm-mm. Oh, though, in 1950, there was a Harlem Globetrotter named Nathaniel Sweetwater Clifton, and he became the first African-American to sign an NBA contract. So he went from the Harlem Globetrotters left, yeah. to the NBA. Cool. And the first black player in the NBA was in nineteen what fifty? Yeah, that's what that's what that's what that's like his claim to fame that he left the Globetrotters and became the first black player in the NBA. That was in nineteen fifty. That wasn't that long ago. Wow, mm. that's weird. Nuts, right? Huh? Yeah. Please stop, dogs. Stop. So that is that's our little Harlem, and I and you'll find out quickly why. Yeah, I meant to say why. Right, it has to do with our story today in Frederick, Colorado. Okay, so we are going to jump right into the story after that very nice, long, extended intro that I'm sure everyone loved. Um, And we are going to talk about our victim, Thomas Bashline. So Thomas was born in 1969 in Panorama City, California. He had two brothers, Kevin and Dennis, and two sisters, Robin and Ray Ellen. He graduated from high school in 1988, and he went to Mesa State College in 1996, which I think is probably in Arizona, but I didn't look that up. Um, That'd be odd, though, kind of, right? Like, he grew up in California. Yeah. Yeah, well. But why would you go to a state college? I mean... I'm I not think he must have home people, but like, because maybe he went there first before he, because on his obituary page, um, one of his friends wrote, I'm glad to have known Tom since the early nineties when we both lived in Bloss Hall and studied sports medicine at Oregon State University. So I'm thinking maybe he went to Mesa State first and then like transferred to Oregon well, State. Well, maybe, maybe because state schools obviously are easier to get into and, and less expensive. Arizona state schools, even less, less, 
I, I, mean, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. It's pretty irrelevant to the story, though. Right, I know. Which is why I'm not, I know. I'm not digging too deep, which I didn't dig too deeply into it. Oh, well, okay. I have a question. Sure. You said Mesa, Mesa College? Mesa State. When I typed in Mesa State College, it came up Colorado Mesa University in oh. Grand Junction, Colorado. Weird. So, well, I mean, the story ends in Colorado, oh, right? It does. And you know what I bet? I bet he went to Oregon State first and then went to Mesa State after that if it was in Colorado because that's where he ended up. So that's a really good, good lookup. Lookup list within the episode. Mm. Um, he never was married, but he did have a life partner. Partner. <laughs> <laughs> so in his obituary, she was called his soulmate and he was planning to propose to her very soon. Her name was Yvette Reyes. She had a 19-year-old son, Gustin Montoya, who went to the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, Colorado. I know we've had an episode there. Um, and I, I'm not sure if this should go here or not, but I'll throw it in. Gustin had a key to Yvette and Tom's house, even though he didn't live in Frederick, he did have a key because he was close with them. He was close with his mom, got along well with Tom. They often would go on like a weekend away and ask Gustin to come take care of the dogs and and the house. You know, I have a question brewing. I do. I can see it in your eyes. Um, How old was Gustin? 19. No. Mm. When he... When his mom got together with, it doesn't matter, but like, was it before he was 19? Uh, it was, I, I think it was before he was 19. Like he was in his life before he was 19. Yes. I understand 19 is going to be when things go poorly. Sure. Yeah. I don't know exactly when him and but Yvette prior, got together. But I imagine sometime. if he was calling uh, Gustin's mom, his soulmate. Yes. Okay. Before that. Okay. Um, Tom was said to be born with a passion for sports and an unyielding dedication to this kind of passion for sports. So eventually his career would take him into basketball. But in the early days, he became a certified athletic trainer. He started his own business. He owned and operated TB's Trainers and Athletic Sports Medicine. It was a mobile tr sports training business. So he would go help athletes who needed um physical therapy and, and things like that. He also started the Valley Rodeo Club. He was actively involved with kids who were in high school doing rodeo, the Colorado Junior Rodeo Association. He was involved in a horseback riding club for youth, um, a gymnastics club for youth. He was deep into the world of sports in, in high school, uh, kind of across the board. In Colorado high school. In Colorado, yep. According to his friends and family, he was a man without any enemies. He could make friends with anyone. He loved to travel, loved the mountains. He worked really hard to buy um, some land in Frederick. It was horse property, and he had really big plans for it. So on his refrigerator, he had, um, after he bought this home and this pro this horse property, he like hand drew out his plans for it. Um, he wanted to do a fence line here for a corral for the horses. He wanted a new barn over here, storage for all of his kind of training sports medical equipment. He just had all these huge plans that he really, he was excited about. He had saved for many years to buy a property like this. Um, 
Other friends said that if you needed something, Tom would give it to you. He would help you achieve it or he would comfort you in your time of need. And this is from his obituary page. One person wrote, I liked this. Tom never counted the cost in money or time when someone needed his help. His can-do attitude was contagious and his belief that every problem had a solution was as well. He was never afraid to take on a project. He never stopped to ask if it was possible. He just did it, never doubting that it could be done. He always treated everyone with respect. So he was, he was a very, um, I read a lot and I'm not going to read all of these quotes that I have, but he was a beloved, uh, kind of figure in the community. And then he, he became the athletic trainer at Brighton high school, which was the local high school there. And he did that for 10 years. Um, that's Indiana chewing a bone in the background. I won't be able to cut that out. So I'll just throw that in there. Um, one of his coworkers, Mike Stoffler said he knew arts and science of athletic training. He took pride in the current trends. He put the students health and welfare first. Um, he was extremely cautious and cared about everyone. He started the training program at the high school. He did, he taught first aid and CPR to all the coaches. Um, Travis Moore, I'm trying to pick like some of the amazing quotes. There's so many. Travis Moore graduated in 2008. He said, Tom was an awesome man who would do anything for you. I was a sports player, but I was also one of his students trying to learn about athletic training. He constantly pushed all of us to strive for our goals. Um, such some awesome times we had were going to the Pepsi Center in Coors Field to see how their athletic programs were run. And he would always take us all out to lunch and there's just countless quotes about how much the students loved him. Uh, and in 2010, he was hired by the Harlem Globetrotters as their athletic trainer. Cool. So he took care of the main kind of squad. I guess I read that the Globetrotters have a red, white, and blue team. Uh, well, have you ever seen their um, uniforms? Look them up. Probably, but well, I can't just picture look them. them. Up. They're red, white, and blue. Oh, they are? Yes. That's hmm. literally all I could picture. That's the one thing I got right in my mind. Oh. I always kept picturing like Lakers-ish. Oh, yeah, they are. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. It's all red, white, and blue. Yeah. yeah. It looks kind of like circus-y. Well, that tracks. Yeah, that does. So he was also in charge of the junior Globetrotters, which were like the, the kids who were trying to be Globetrotters and then the ball kids who they'd invite to the games to like get the balls when they were done, you know, that's, that's really kind of, that's it. That's a wrap on Thomas. That's the most information I have on him. Uh, he was a loved community member who loved sports and made it his life. I was about to say, or not about to, but earlier when you said TB trainers and athletic sports medicine, the company he mm -hmm. created or whatever mm -hmm. the facility, I'm all, why TB? But then I realized Thomas Bashline. That's right. <laughs> uh, I just I just came up with a question that I wish that I had. Oh, uh, I was gonna say I wonder if it's still going on today. If that Globetrotters? No, no, his company. Oh, uh, yeah, doesn't look like it. I didn't look it up, so I'm just looking it up now. So that'll I mean, be a look. Unless up. his spouse or loved. I mean, carry it on. Yeah. Probably not. So. Oh, that's interesting, though. So he was the Globetrotters trainer? Mm -hmm. Athletic trainer. Yep. Wow. In, 20, in 2010. And interesting. This, his murder happened in 2011, so he didn't have much time with them. He was actually, at the time of his murder, planning um, 
a trip to China with them for some like tour around China. I bet there's some, and I guess I was going to say, I bet there's some interviews or something with people who tons. Yeah. Oh, there's tons. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we're going to flash forward to November 4th, 2011. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. He's been working for a year for the um, Globetrotters. He's also still doing some training with his company, some training at the school. He kind of has his hand in a bunch of different things. Um, and he, him and Yvette are living together. And Yvette came home from work at 4.30 p.m. on November 4th. I do not know where she worked. I could not find it. I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, I actually wasn't, oh. but I just like was going to assume she, I don't know. I actually wasn't, but I could tell. So she got home at around 4.30 p.m. on November 4th and quickly phoned authorities when she found Thomas's body in their bed, unresponsive, not breathing. She told the operator that my boyfriend is in the bed. He's unresponsive. And his 1999 blue Chevy S10 pickup is missing. Police put out a BOLO on that right away. Do you know what BOLO stands for? No. I know. I, I didn't either. I mean, I, di I think you do in your back brain. So did I. Be on the lookout. Oh, everyone look out. Yeah. Okay. Chevy S10 50? Pickup. S10 pickup. Oh. Yep. Blue. Blue. Hmm. So officers were quickly on the scene, responded, came to their house. Initially, these were the things they noticed. There were no signs of forced entry. There was a tremendous amount of blood. Tom was completely naked, face down on his bed. There was an almost empty bottle of Windex on the floor near the bed. There were six condoms in the trash, and one of them had semen in them. Okay, six condoms opened and used. at least pulled out, yeah. seemingly used. Yeah. One definitely. Definitely used. And police asked Yvette about these, and she said, these are not, like, this is oh, not mine. No. This is not for me. I didn't use these. Um, in the front of the house, there were a bunch of feathers on the porch, but there were no chickens on the property, so authorities thought maybe it came from a pillow or a down comforter. They weren't sure yet. They also found a sock under Tom's left leg. There was blood on the sock, and inside was a bullet. I mean, my head is going every which way. You and investigators alike, wow. because initially they were kind of like, what? This okay, so he was completely naked. His body, there was a lot of blood around. Did mm -hmm. they know that, like, could they see the part of his body where the blood was coming? At first, there were no obvious signs of trauma. They couldn't tell where the anything where the blood was he coming was just from he was just dead. dead yeah and so he was quickly removed from the scene and taken in for an autopsy 
After performing the autopsy, they discovered two bullet wounds directly in the back of his head. That'll do it. But like... Well, that'll do it in terms of the blood. Absolutely. And because my initial thought, and this will be answered later, but my initial thought was like, well, how do you not notice a bullet, two bullet wounds to the back of the head? Well, if he's laid out, right? I don't know. I, I didn't either, but you will. You will know. Oh. So they discovered the bullet wounds and they then quickly made this a formal homicide investigation because there was no, there was no gun found at the scene. So he couldn't have committed suicide. Also, how do you shoot yourself in the back of the head? Not twice. Not twice. That's right. Um, They also discovered some uh, residual semen on his groin area. Unsure at this point if it's his or someone else's. But they were pretty convinced by now that foul play was involved. So one of the, before, you know, they cleared the scene completely, the, one of the responding officers walked through the house with Yvette to see if like anything was out of place, was anything missing. She noticed that several bottles of wine were missing um, and a pair of Thomas's brand new boots were missing. There was also a gun case in the closet that was potentially missing. It was very confusing when I read this, but there was no gun in it because she she thought, she couldn't be sure, but she thought that Thomas had removed all the guns from the residence because a couple weeks before, someone had stolen copper tubing from their property. They were having their hot tub repaired and there's a bunch of copper tubing out there. Somebody had stolen them and he was like, well, if somebody's that close to our house stealing things, I'm going to get rid of our guns so that if there is a break-in, they can't use it against us. Or get rid of them from the obvious. Right. Maybe not get rid. But right. Put them out Put them elsewhere. The yes, exactly. So, you know, when authorities heard that, they were like, hmm, well, okay, the copper tubing was still, could this be related? I don't know. They didn't know. Obviously, the first person they questioned was girlfriend, Yvette. So they brought her into the station and asked her to explain November 4th, her day. She said she went into the bedroom at 6 a.m. when she was leaving for work. He was still asleep. She said that he did sleep naked. Um, And she, you know, he woke up a little bit, said goodbye, gave him a kiss, bye, see you later. And she left for work. They then said, and I watched the interview, they said, did you kill your husband, or not husband, I'm sorry, uh, boyfriend, soulmate, right? Did you kill Thomas, basically? And she said, no, I was at work all day. So of course, they're going to look into this. But they then, you know, before they were able to look into that, they said, okay, fine, we'll believe you. But who who did this? Who do you think could have done this? Because it has to be someone you know. Nobody shoots somebody in the back of the head at close range like that when they're naked. Just like, that's not a break-in. That's a personal murder. Well, and also I think, so someone sleeps naked, right? He sleeps naked. So when you're sleeping... Well, unless he was sleeping face down, because I was thinking if he's sleeping naked, someone had to kind of jolt him awake and get him up to shoot him in the back of the head. But perhaps he was sleeping face Face down down on his stomach. Yeah. So the investigation got going and there were several avenues that police started looking into. The copper tubing. Maybe it was the same person who stole the copper tubing, came back for more didn't think anyone was home, then thought noticed Thomas was home. No, fine, maybe. Um, 
but then they also felt very strongly that this was a crime of passion. Two shots to the back of the head at a close range, that's a personal murder. In addition to the semen found on his groin area, they were thinking, well, could Yvette have done this? Or has he ever been married or in a long-term loving relationship before? Oh, No, I'm shaking my head no at her, no. Okay. And so they thought maybe Tom was having an affair and she found out. And she killed him or hired someone to kill him. And then they also thought about Yvette's son. He had keys to the house. Maybe he had been at the house recently and had a a girlfriend over, had a party. And that's where the condoms came from. He was a young kid. Never know. And then the final theory was that Thomas had a side business that involved testing professional athletes for performance-enhancing drugs. And so if they were found to test positive, Thomas, by law, was required to report that, which could result in the athlete being suspended or even kicked off of their respective teams. So, whoa, whoa. Right. So authorities were thinking, could a professional sports player be so concerned about a positive test? Well, of course. It's their livelihood. Absolutely. Also, now, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, this isn't it, because it is it too obvious? I don't, I don't know. know. But that's a big chunk of something to leave out till right now. It sure is. But it, I mean, to me, that seems, honestly, out of, like her son, well, why? Because why? he's 19 and he has a key to the house. That doesn't mean anything. Yvette, she was at work all day. You know, they have to confirm that, but seemingly she was. And someone who stole copper tubing is going to come back again to kill him? I mean, I don't know. So to me, as I'm researching that, I'm like, this is it? And it might be. I'm not going to tell you. I think they're all wrong. Okay. So one of the first clues that they came across was that uh, one of the detectives was notified. You know, they put out a bolo on his truck because it was gone. And so one of the detectives got notified that it had been found parked illegally at a uh, Colorado University boulder football game it's about 30 well now this is in the documentary i watched it said 40 miles from his home but boulder in my research said it was 18 miles so we'll say 20 to 30 ish miles away it was not next door it had been it was parked illegally so it had been impounded and police picked it up it needed to be processed so it was taken away it was taken away from that illegal parking put in the impound lot and then police got it and took it to crime CSI, whatever, and they uh, processed it. And what they found was a lot. Semen? (laughs) I don't know. There was a lot of semen. There was a lot of semen. There was not semen in the truck. (laughs) They found an Ithaca 1911 handgun on the passenger seat. It was a 45 caliber, which is the same caliber that killed Thomas. They found a piece of luggage with several wine bottles inside. They found feathers in the tread of a pair of shoes that were found in the truck. So these are, well, a couple of those things were found in the homes. Missing from the home or related, yeah. There were feathers in the home and... Right, and wine missing. Yep. They also found a pair of cowboy boots, but they weren't sure if these were the same as Thomas's missing boots. They didn't know. They found a receipt for gas that was the same day as the murder and they found a backpack with a notebook inside of it a few other papers and things um, and a laptop the 
the backpack, the notebook, it didn't appear to belong to Tom. And then when they went into the notebook, it had a name on it. Justin Christofferson. Nice really, name. Nice name. And it's spelled C-H, not K, because I initially thought K. Oh, yeah. No, mm. I imagined C-H. So they were like, all right, well, let's find Justin Christofferson. And F, right? FF, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so they they tracked him down. He lived pretty close to where the truck was found in Boulder. He was a graduate of Colorado University Boulder, computer programmer, no criminal history. Uh, they brought him in and questioned him. And he said three days before, well, he didn't know it was three days before the murder, but he said- um, on He no- indicated three days prior. November 1st, um, my, my home was burglarized and a handgun, a backpack, and a laptop was stolen on November 1st from my home. Uh, they questioned him about Thomas. Did he know him? And he said, I, I don't know any Thomas. I-, I have no idea what you're talking about. Take my DNA, test me for gunpowder residue, like whatever you need to do. Um, police did all of that. Nothing, Justin seemed to be telling the truth. There was nothing that connected him to Thomas. Um, police spoke to the Boulder police, police from Frederick spoke to the Boulder police and confirmed that Justin had reported these items stolen, which mm. meant for now he, he was not a primary suspect. He was kind of cleared for now. And after speaking to Boulder PD and, and finding out that Justin had filed a report, they also discovered that there was another burglary reported by a woman named Hannah in the same area around the same day. So they brought Hannah in for questioning. Hannah said, I was at school when it happened. I came home and my neighbor told me that someone had broken into my place and my neighbor gave me a description. My neighbor said that the person who broke into my place was six feet tall, white male, short dark hair, clean shaven, black jacket, black backpack. And the police said, who do you think it was? And she said, I think it was Drayton Mares. I've heard his name pronounced multiple ways. Drayton Mares or Maris Maris. I'm going to say Maris because <laughs> it just makes it easier for me. <laughs> and police said, why? And she said, because we work together and he knows the general location of where I live because he's been in the car when I've been dropped off from work. So we work together and we've gotten rides home. I've been dropped off before him and he's, he's seen where I live. Police had never heard the name Drayton Mares before, but obviously they wanted to talk to him. They talked to Justin. They talked to Hannah. So they found him. They brought him in. He's, they said, you know, you've, uh, you know Hannah. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, you've been to her house. And he said, yeah, we work together at Silvermine. And the cops, Silvermine subs, sub shop, subway type shop. Oh, my God. I totally thought that's where my mind went really? immediately. Also, there used to be one right on university. Yum. Here? Yes, but I thought totally that's wrong. Like it was going to be a mining company or anything else. Silver mine subs. Yum. (laughs) And uh, he said, yeah, we worked together at Silver Mine. And the cop said, okay, well, she's had some things missing from her house recently. And when the officer went to take the report and spoke to her, she immediately said that she thought it was you. And I, I don't know why, but do you have any idea why? He said, Hannah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've only been to her house once, and that was with our manager, who is also her boyfriend. And the detective said, did you take something from her? 
He said, no, I was, I was standing right there with her and her boyfriend. I didn't take anything. He denied any involvement, said, I don't know what this is about. I don't know a Thomas. And police were like, okay. Tried to find a connection. Couldn't find a connection between Drayton and Justin, the other burglary victim, or Drayton and Thomas. Drayton was a very different age. He's like 23. It all doesn't connect. Nothing's connecting. No. So they had real no evidence. Real no evidence. They had no real evidence. And they decided to look at other leads. So the first lead they looked at was that gas receipt. So they sent an officer to the gas station. It was a Safeway gas station. And like, let's find out more. It was dated November 4th, the day that Thomas was killed, at 3.54 p.m. Did they have cameras then? They sure did. Mm. And remember, uh, Thomas's Yvette, Thomas's girlfriend, called the authorities at 4.30. Now, we don't know when Thomas was killed exactly. Yvette got home at 4.30. So before 4.30, he was killed. And so this gas receipt is from 3.54 p.m. Was he there? Well, they don't know. So they talked to the gas station attendant who was there that day, Christina Kuhl, K-E-U-H-L. She came to work that day around 3.30 p.m. She took her drawer out of the safe, put it in the register, and almost as soon as she closed the register, a guy walked in and asked for $25 worth of gas. He went out, pumped his gas, came back in, and was asking about different prices of cigarettes. Bought a pack of cigarettes. She told police, I mean, I don't know, he was fidgety. He was kind of meek and shy, but he seemed like pretty normal, like just an average bro. Police said, all right, we're going to need that security footage. But it wasn't immediate. This was 2011. It took a minute. So while Safeway Gas Station is pulling that security footage for them, they decided to look at the other evidence from Thomas's house, his computer. Computer forensics got involved. And when they turned the computer on, the first thing that popped up was Craigslist and a lot of ads for men seeking men on Craigslist. So it's unclear to me whether Tom posted an ad or Tom responded to one, but either way, one of the most recent um, kind of communications that Tom had had on Craigslist was with a man named Andrew. Don't know his last name, but police did find out his last name, contacted him, got him down to the station and said, how do you know the person behind the screen name XYZ, whatever Tom's screen name was? And Andrew said, oh, it's from a, from a gay hookup site uh, on Craigslist. His name was Tom. Police said, how many times did you guys meet up? And Andrew said, just one time, about a month ago. Police said, did you go to his house? Andrew said, nope. And police said, it was just one time, just for sex, just that one time. Andrew said, mm-hmm. Everything Andrew said seemed to check out. They couldn't find any evidence of Andrew in Thomas's house. There was really nothing except for this one communication connecting them. So what he was saying seemed to be true. He, he also had an alibi that checked out. I don't know that that was not clear, but he did have apparently have an alibi. They checked it, was correct. So Andrew's out. He's not a suspect. But this discovery of this Craigslist and this men seeking men and this meetup with Andrew... It raised a lot of questions because, well. Well, because period. Right. I mean, like, could it be someone from Craigslist or did Yvette find out that Tom was doing this on Craigslist? And and then kill him because of it. Also, 
Yeah. When you first shared what was found, not that I'm, I, I don't know. I just had an inkling that something sexually, not sinister, but if you're in a monogamous long-term relationship, it could be seen as sinister. Totally. Right. But like, I just had that feeling. Also, when you said the sock where there was blood, I'm all, there's going to be semen in that sock. <laughs> well, I mean, six condoms and a vet's like, that's not from us. Like, you know, if you've had sex recently with your partner and their condoms. Well, and maybe they didn't even use condoms. Exactly. So she, because, and that's true. I have no idea why, but she knew without a doubt, these are not from us. So yeah, that's a reasonable you know, assertion that like, mm, something off. Whether it's because they didn't use condoms or because they hadn't had sex in the past week. Right. If she knew, right. understandably. Right. Oof. Okay, guys. If you want to find out what happened to Thomas and how this story concludes, you will have to tune in next week for the part two finale of the murder of Thomas Bashline. Or you can head over to our Patreon and listen to the entire full episode without ads right now. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. And a special shout out and thank you to Jane Butkus for suggesting this story as she has suggested so many of the stories we've done. We really appreciate you, Jane. Thanks, guys. Bye. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. <laughs>